Just one covenant of grace, different administrations, one mediator throughout all generations. The same efficacy in every dispensation, crystal-centric motifs and recapitulation. What I'm saying is Christ was in the garden with Adam. He showed them penal substitution, clothed them, atoned for them, and drove them out from the garden temple. But Adam was a Christian with the full gospel info, like Enoch preached Christ coming with thousands tenfold. On every page of scriptures, Christ described in bold. You didn't know, my dude, you a slow learner. But draw near, God is here with the sojourner. That old hermeneutic you're using is useless. If it ain't crystal centric, it ain't Frank and Murrah and a slow burner. Hello, the people of God, the covenant people from Adam to world without end, the inheritors of the covenant of grace based on the vicarious penal substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He has been pleased to, by his covenant with the Father, grant us his righteousness in exchange for our sins and his death, burial, and resurrection. We are finally back with season two. We had to take a we had to take a bit of a break. All sorts of stuff going on. Um, we had our own little pedo communion controversy here. Sure did. Uh, oh, little boy. liturgical hiccups and all sorts of stuff. Um, God is gracious, and you know, every controversy we ever go through, I always end up just wishing I was a little bit more patient and just laughed it off a little bit more. Mm. My wife says I'm getting better at it, and you know, that, that must be that must be true. Uh, you are maturing. <laughs> yes, but I'm not getting any taller. I'm still 5'8", <laughs> you know. They say you have those two growth spurts, one between 12 and 14, the other one between 14 and 16. I'm still, it's been 15 years. I'm still waiting for the second one. But hopefully maturing, certainly not getting taller. All right. Well, we're talking about the covenant of grace, and as we always should, I don't think um, it's not an issue of I think versus uh, another another opinion. We need to state this emphatically. The people of God do not understand covenant, and as long as they don't understand covenant, they're never going to fully mature in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is never going to yield to the fear, yield the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is not going to result in proper worship. We have a worship problem. We have a famine of the Word of God, and it's most clearly seen in how we worship God. And again, this needs to be said every couple times. We're not saying. Uh, that we are reforming worship in the sense that we got there and everybody else needs to not not even close what we're what we're doing is saying God has been kind to us at the Church of Philadelphia here in Traverse City Michigan of where I'm a where I'm a pastor and um he's been kind to us to reform our worship and as we reform we want to bring you guys along uh, in uh, whatever capacity the Lord would have you come along. Perhaps you're in a church that's even more reformed in its liturgical worship than we are, in which case we we uh, we thank you for listening. We hope this is a benefit to you. Maybe you've grown up in a church that's pretty darn solid, and uh, this will benefit you greatly because so many people, even people worshiping God rightly, have no idea why they're worshiping God the right way. So, I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine just you know, actually just the other day talking about um, he was saying it's time to bring these things up again and and talk to the congregation about why we're worshiping the way that we're worshiping um, uh, because uh, if that's not const- constantly emphasized, it can just kind of seem like it's kind of up to us. Well, Anyway, I'm Pastor Caleb. I probably should have said that at the beginning here at the Church of Philadelphia in Traverse City, Michigan. This is my right-hand man, Deacon Andrew. How are you, brother? I'm here. Glad to be here. 
<laughs> recently caffeinated Deacon Andrew. Uh-huh. Um, the, <laughs> that's uh, wonderful. Hey, hey, can you call a left-handed guy your right-hand man? Is that okay to do? Or Fine by me. Yeah, okay. okay. I am sitting at your right hand. Oh, there we go. All right, fantastic. Fantastic. In contrary to popular opinion. It's not a claim to deity. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Depending on your opinion of me, it could be a downright insult. But, uh, with, uh, but with all, with all that, uh, contrary to popular opinion, Jesus does actually love left-handed people too. Um, I just, (laughs) just wanted to, wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, uh, enough Ehud, with the jokes. He loved Ehud. He did love Ehud. And that's just an example of how far Ehud his grace. Liberator. How far that grace can go, man. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> anyway, we're talking about um, we're talking about covenant theology, and unfortunately, I wish there was one kind of covenant theology. Um, that's one of the frustrating parts when you talk about this. There was relative unity once upon a time, but never perfect unanimity, and that's fine. We're all going to have our disagreements. But one of the most concerning things is that um, so many people have gone to this like this idea that uh, this gospel by which we're saved is a fairly new thing, and that that's just that doesn't work inside of Christianity. Um, Douglas Wilson, uh, somebody who's famously villainized. Um, not that he's a perfect man, he's not, but neither am I. And if I'm going to compare my faults to him, I'm, I'm not going to do well. Um, we cut our teeth on Douglas Wilson. A lot of, a lot of what we, what we understand as far as worship goes. Oh my, uh, he's been a, he's been a wonderful influence. So has, uh, Jeffrey Meyer. So has, here's a, here's another guy that's a little bit more on the uh, dangerous side, but he's got a lot of good things to say would be the. Peter Lightheart, Jim Jordan crowd, you know, you want to have a pretty decent uh, spiritual immune system before you start listening to those guys. But they, they have a lot of good insights and, and things like that. Um, we uh, very much um, enjoy uh, enjoy what Knox had to say on the subject, uh, true and false worship. Uh, Knox, I love Knox. When my son gets here, we're going to name him John Knox. He's not here yet, but it's because he's taking after his mother. He's late for everything. Um, That's a big name. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for him for a couple of years. He can get here any time. Anyway, so. Here to welcome him with the waters of baptism. Yes. And the Lord's Supper. Yes, uh, right after he's born. And, uh, and if that makes you angry, well, you're just going to have to hang on because that's not our subject for today. Want to t- want to talk about a little bit? Yeah, I know, right? We want to talk about covenants in the Word of God. And um, if you're new to the Christian faith and you're going, what's what's a covenant? Remember, covenant is the sovereign is identified. The uh, there's a brief covenant history given. There's blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. The terms of the covenant are laid out, and then there's an initiation ritual. And there's a sustaining ritual. There's a there's an ongoing, generally a fellowship meal or something like that. So, in marriage, we see that traditionally the man uh, the man pursues the woman. I know that's not I know that's not big in the feminist culture, but the women who are pursuing men are called you know immoral women in proverbs. But anyway. Uh, generally the man pursues the woman, um, when they give, uh, when they give their wedding vows, 
the, the pledges to love, honor, and cherish love versus love, honor, and obey. There are I do's involved, the promises for better or for worse. Um, the ceremony itself is where that's vowed between, before God and man that ought not to be missing, right? That's, that would be a profaning of the marriage if that was missing. And then, um, and then uh, covenant is renewed. And the less said about that, the better. So when we see God do this with, with, uh, with his people, when we see Christ do this with his bride, the church, formerly called Israel, now according to Isaiah 66, he called his people by a new name. Um, but it's a new name in the sense like, it's a new commandment I give you, love one another, right? Uh, it's it, There's a new commandment I give you, which is the same from the beginning. Same from the beginning. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's a uh, it's a new name, which was the same from the from the beginning. We say we see ecclesia, the Greek word for church. We see that in the Greek rendering of the Old Testament. Actually, more in former administrations than now. So this idea that Jesus came to establish the church, doesn't make a lick of sense. But at the same time, it doesn't make a lick of sense the other way, too, where nobody really knew the gospel except except us, <laughs> right? Um, God preached the gospel to Abraham, Galatians tells us. Moses bore the reproach of Christ, Hebrews 11. We talk about this all the time. Uh, Enoch preached the second coming of Christ in Jude. I mean, they knew who Jesus was. And Adam and Eve, they received the hope of redemption in the garden, that this this one that would come from the seed of the woman, women don't have seed, virgin birth, right? The one coming from the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And that that was gospel triumph. That was, that was a covenant made and declared to them by the second person of the Trinity. It was not without the shedding of blood. They were clothed with animal skins. The covenant of grace was enacted by Christ himself in the garden as they were sent out. Um, before that, there was the covenant of works. No grace clause, right? If you, if you don't do these things, you die. Um, if you, if you do them, you live pretty simple. That were, that was the term. Those were the terms, not of our covenant with God. God offers us forgiveness when we fail, right? But that was, those were the terms that Christ received. Now, there's no way to understand the Christian faith apart from the Trinity. By the way, uh, there's a standing offer to debate me on the Trinity in any platform you want, as long as we have equal time. Um, there needs to be at least opening statements, rebuttals, um, cross-ex, closing statements. Again, equal time. And if you respond in a decent amount of time from this recording, let's say one week, I happily do that without any reference to the Gospel of John. Um, there is no counter-argument to Trinitarian doctrine in Christianity. Without the Trinity, you don't have the wrath of the Father being satisfied by the Son. You don't have the Son being fully man and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's just eight different kinds of icky. Amen. I'll just plug reformingworship at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us. Fantastic. Yep, we would we'd love to do that. So our thesis not thesis our statement that has been held down by reformed orthodoxy from the beginning is that there's only one covenant of grace right there are many administrations but one covenant of grace for instance if i renew my vows with my wife which i think would probably be a good thing to do seeing that we weren't married in a church um and that's because i was i was fresh out of the charismatic movement and stupid that was back when i knew everything 
um, if we renew our vows and we keep the mushy stuff um, as an addition to the to the traditional vows, and and we we may even expand on them because of what we've come to learn about what marriage is, being a picture of Christ in the church. But Chloe stays Chloe, and I stay Caleb because we renewed our covenant. Because it's coming into a purer and, 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 and clearer version of itself. Nevertheless, it was God's faithfulness who brought us to that clarity. It's not a new covenant as a never before seen. It's new in its, in its fulfillment and its topology. So what we really want to stress is that Adam was saved by the same gospel you are. That goes for Noah. That goes for everybody. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Now, how? What was the what was the grace to works ratio on that? Do you think? <laughs> anyway, I, I can't recommend to you highly enough. And it's not that we agree with everything um, this man says, but Herman Vitius, um, W I T S I U S, Herman Vitius. Uh, I've heard Wissius, I've heard Vissius. Generally, the Dutch names, the W is pronounced as a V, but I've been corrected on that the other way. Either way, Herman Vissius, that's what we're going to call him. His economy of the covenants between God and man. He goes on to say, um, Adam would have had to have been a Trinitarian. right? Otherwise, he would have a false conception of God. Adam's covenant would have been based on idolatry. Because it's not spelled out in Genesis does not mean that it wasn't there in Genesis. The Bible can be written as something that unfolds to a huge picture. You can have a completed picture at the last part of Revelation, just before maps, and then you started with, with Genesis. That's how the Bible was written. That does not presuppose that these people were ignorant of the gospel. Adam knew that the seed of the woman would have to suffer and die simultaneously be the high priest over the sacrifice like he just saw Christ be and to clothe him with his righteousness, their, his innocence for their guilt, and that he would rise again. It was Jesus who said all the law, all the prophets, all the writings state that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. All the law, all the prophets, all the writings testify that the Christ should die and three days later rise. Now, either the either the Old Testament actually teaches that, and we've just been reading it wrong, or Jesus was reading it wrong. Now, what side of that divide would you like to come down on? Um, and then there are people who go, yeah, Jesus just didn't understand. They, oh, there man. really are, like the Jesus Seminar and weirdos. Goodness. Yep. I trust him with the salvation of my soul, but I don't know that his hermeneutics were overly solid. Does that really work? Um, so let's let's just send, let's just let that. Um, That's horrifying. Let's let that. That's horrific. That just needs to die a thousand deaths, um, and it it does. It will until Christ comes again. He will vindicate himself. He will vindicate his name. Um, so Andrew and I just got. <laughs> all sorts of uh all sorts of uh, uh just uh, taken back surprised amazed at what some of the reform movement are are actually talking about as far as different kinds of covenants between god and man um there's yeah. this thing called two kingdom oh, theology and um two kingdom theology basically goes like this um 
there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of God is governed by natural, re- uh, special revelation, which is the scriptures. And the kingdom of the world is is governed by natural revelation, how God has revealed himself in nature sort of things, you know. Um, and so they, they would, you know, natural morality, natural law, things like that. Um, uh, don't kill people, that's bad, you know, that that sort of thing. Um, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and disciple the nations. That is, um, the nations are going to be held accountable to special revelation because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. So, that's Matthew 28, by the way. Uh, so, Andrew, let's, uh, let's talk about that. What did, we, what did we just hear from our brothers, and they are our brothers, over at Reform Forum? What, what happened? What was that train wreck? Well, I just want to, I guess I would want to preface this by just making an observation, okay, that it seems um, a little ironic to me that for all the shade that gets thrown on uh, reformed people under the banner or the name federal vision uh, that, you know, to hold to a view of the one expressed that I heard coming from the two kingdom camp this morning. um, It it seems they're due for a theological controversy in their uh, realm. Yeah. (laughs) Or something. Um, The, uh, the language that I that I heard used was that um, the Noahic covenant was a non-bloody covenant, right? And that it was um, oh, how do they how do they say it? it's a covenant with creation, um, a, a covenant of common grace, right? Uh, it was not particular to uh, the singular covenant of grace, uh, and it's. installment if you will right right yeah and that was kind of surprising is because they're westminsterians in 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 westminster's really clear in chapter seven section six that there there is one covenant of christ differing in its dispensations Mm -hmm. it's and so the this this weird kind of introduction to almost uh, it's this weird introduction to they're using the term common grace. Right. Right. It's, it's a common grace is a myth, right? Yeah. Common grace is. is grace. That's not gracious. Yeah. Right. A matter of fact, um, when, when we look at Noah's covenant and that's what, that's what's meant by Noahic covenant. If you're new to the Christian faith and you're doing the sink or swim thing, like, I'm going to listen to you guys, even though I'm not positive everything that you're saying. That's actually the best way to learn. Just dive, dive in until the terminology starts making sense. So, if you're a new Christian listening to this, I just want to, I want to encourage you in that. Noahic covenant is just a simple way of saying God's covenant with Noah. Um, but look how it's look how it starts. It's um, v- verse seven of Genesis six. Uh, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. Now, obviously, that's different than when we say we're sorry. We we say we're sorry because we didn't know something was going to happen, or we did something on accident, or we made the wrong call. 
God is talking, he's using anthropomorphic language. Remember, um, Numbers 19 says that he's not the son of man that he should change his mind. He's not God, he's not a man that he should repent, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. So when he's talking about sorrow and making them, he's 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 using anthropomorphic language. He's likening himself to man. Yeah. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to that. I will destroy... The, so the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what in the world is common about that, right? Right. That's efficacious there, saving grace. Yes. Efficacious saving grace that in judgment has corresponding deeds of redemption, right? And that's the... That's the thing to point to is there this this is a a, a bloody covenant. Um, this is a passing through the waters of baptism. This right, is the right. circumcision of Christ being cut off. Um, <laughs> this covenant of grace is not um, a, a, a non bloody sacrifice. It's a covenant that's being made um, with the people of God and for the people of God. Uh, primarily, uh, by way of extension, the world experiences um, uh, an overflow of that covenant of grace that God is having on and for His people. I don't know. No, no, no. That's 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 a good way to put it. So, here's what the argument is basically saying: that God's covenant that He makes with Noah after the flood happens, after they're out of the ark. That's not necessarily tied just to the covenant of grace. They would say that that's the covenant that God made with the world, where that um, that's aberrant at best. Uh, and here's why: like, I'm not just I'm not just trying to talk smack here. This idea, therefore, sets forth that God has common grace, that and then his, therefore His special grace is like regeneration, or you know, the modern evangelical way of saying that is quote-unquote getting saved or something silly like that but his common grace would be like baskets of kittens sunsets rainbows they've talked about the rain they talked about the rainbow quite a bit um all this kind of all this kind of stuff um the fact that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike that uh, you know unbelievers get job promotions unbelievers pet their dogs you know unbelievers you know have have wonderful times in life and and so it's like well that's gracious and but it's actually it's it's not um we it, because we need we need to we need to point out that what is known of god has been manifest to them but they refused to acknowledge god nor were they grateful and their foolish hearts were darkened so it, it if you're an unbeliever enjoying the sunset, you have to understand that sun, that sunset. First of all, it's a symbol of life of life, death, and resurrection, right? Yeah. The 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 rising of the sun to the setting, the Lord, the name of the Lord will be praised. The sun goes down in our minds to obscurity; it rises again. Um, it's it it it's a picture just like going to sleep at night. It's a picture of life, death, and then resurrection unto newness of life, being refreshed. Yeah. Um. All of life is about life, death, and resurrection. Here in Michigan, we have a really colorful autumn season. 
and those beautiful leaves, uh, they're only beautiful because they're dying. In turn, that's what turns them their color. They're dying, and then they're going to fall from the tree and be put into the earth. That earth is going to come and bury it with snow, and then it's going to be resurrected to newness of life. And that spring, it's going to yield about a beautiful spring and an enjoyable summer. So, um, with everything in life is pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So, when the unbeliever like, enjoys the sunset, I like to think of think of it in terms of gifts. You know, if you if you think of all of life and its purpose as for the enjoyment of God, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? right. And so, in everything that we encounter in this life from day to day, as um, you know, people of the covenant of grace, right? Those. Um, who live and seek to love and honor the Lord, uh, who live in Christ and are his belonging to him. Right. right. Our vocation in this life is to, is, is, is that really it's to, to seek for him, to see him and to enjoy him in all things, to obey him, to love him, to honor all his commands, all of that. But as we go about, um, as we go about our day to day and we encounter this life, it's like, I find myself continually, uh, rendering thanks to God for, you know, you go to the kitchen sink and you fill up a glass of water and it's like, man, I live in like this heavenly realm where like all of these treasures are just available to me, right? With ease even. Um, and it's like, man, I can, I can be thankful and, you know, possess that to the enjoyment of God, but even my trials and my hardships and the struggles that I endure, right? I know that they're serving a purpose for good, right? They're refining me in life. They're, uh, you know, sanctifying. It's all ultimately it's working out to my benefit. And, um, we are under, uh, the sovereign care of a sovereign God, right? And so we treasure and give thanks to him, even in the hardships, knowing that they're for our benefit and to bring him glory. So we can enjoy God, even in our hardships, we enjoy him, uh, in obeying him, even when it's hard, even, you know, and so, even those things should be seen as gifts. These are blessed opportunities, right, to sacrifice uh, ourselves unto the Lord and to uh, and to seek Him, even in our struggles. And so, if we just if we take everything in the on those terms and boil it all down to just our day to day lives is are, are about encountering the gifts of God. He's giving right. us gifts and all things. Then you contrast that with the unbelieving world. And their purpose in receiving these gifts from God, right? What is that ultimately serving in the end? Ultimately, they're heaping upon themselves the wrath of God for judgment, right? <laughs> and not being thankful, not having gratitude for God, not uh, seeking to honor God in, uh, you know, in the gifts that He gives, but rather seeking to serve self and never being thankful. In fact, often, uh, you know. Life is seen through the eyes of being problematic, you know, unthankfulness. This isn't good enough, or this, my life is so terrible, you know, right. uh, getting a little carried away. But you get the point. Um, yeah, absolutely. So just to, just, to, just to boil that down to a single sentence, when the unbeliever is enjoying the gifts of God, number one, they're not his they were given on the earth for his believers, 
right? That's that's my sunset, not Richard Dawkins, right? Right? Yeah. Um, it, 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 right? It, that that that's the ch- it belongs not me specifically, but it's the church that he's given his blessings. Now, what happens is because his 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 blessings are always overflowing. The unbeliever is enjoying the blessings of God that he's given for his people, and it's not for common grace, right? It's not called common grace. There's nothing gracious about it. Check this about, Check this out. Uh, we know this verse well, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his, being God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they, being the unbelievers, are without excuse. Because although they, the unbelievers, knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile, and their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so from the creation of the world, everybody knows that God exists because creation is testifying that, not because creation is testifying that. The knowledge of God is actually created inside a person, and creation testifies to that knowledge that's already intrinsic. Right. But look, I, I just read I just read nineteen through twenty one of Romans one. Let's back up one verse. Verse eighteen for the common grace of God is revealed from heaven against all that's not what it says. No, the wrath. The, the wrath, wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the knowledge of the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen. It doesn't go out for mercy. It goes out for wrath. And so this this strange idea of grace that's not gracious, right? Uh, turning up the thermostat in hell is not an act of common grace. Um, it, it's a it's a little bit appalling to hear to hear um, other reformed people say this. So uh, th- there are all sorts of problems with this view. Let's talk about what Noah finding. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? Let, let's see what that looks like in the New Testament perspective. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Therefore, the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So just as Noah and his family were brought through the ark as a sign of baptism, as an antitype of baptism, so we are saved through, the, through baptism, not washing off the filth of the flesh, not a bath, but word and sacrament, right? When regeneration happens in our heart and that baptism is the name of God is placed on our heads in baptism, we, uh, we, we, we are saved. We, we, we come to know the resurrection of Christ being buried with him in baptism and be raised to newness of life, new affections, hating the sin we once loved, loving the God our sin, our love for sin showed that we hated, right? 
that is all typified, but not only typified, it's a sign and seal. It really happened in Noah's life. The resulting covenant, which God made with Noah afterwards, therefore was gracious, but not to the unbelieving world. It was over the world, but God loved the world. God redeemed the world. This is my father's world. It's, it's always strange to me. Why are we assuming that the world belongs to the unbeliever? Therefore, when God is gracious to the entire earth, that somehow means he's being commonly gracious to the unbeliever? I say grace is actually gracious. Yeah. <laughs> common grace is a misnomer. It should be called common wrath, right? So, Yet, nevertheless, this is my Father's world is in all of our hymnals. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. So then the question uh, goes out, you know, from the two kingdom view or whatever you want to call it, you know, then how are we to interact with the world, you know? And it's like, I just want to answer um, by bringing all of the enemies uh, under God's feet. Yes. Right? But through proclamation of the gospel, that's how we interact yeah. with the world. Right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> it, it, that's, that's really all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Therefore, Therefore, disciple the nations, nations, right? (laughs) Anyway, um, just to be clear, though, I know we've already said this, but we want to wrap up with this. Um, The guys at Reform Forum, they are our brothers. While we were certainly appalled at some of the things that were said, we acknowledge that they are inheritors of this covenant of grace. We love them. We, uh, We hope that God prospers their ministry and maybe gives them a little bit of a better view of these things. All right. Signing off for now. See you next week. By the way, if by some miracle Candom Busey actually hears this, uh, you heard the uh, you heard the email address given earlier, reformingworship at gmail.com. We'd love to have a have a conversation, maybe even hash this out. Love you, brother. <laughs>